But uh, happy Mother's Day to all you moms. You look beautiful today. Happy Mother's Day. Can we give all of our moms a big round of applause? I don't know how many pastors get the luxury of being able to pastor their mom, but I have that luxury, and uh, I just want to say happy, happy birthday. No, I'm just kidding. Happy Mother's Day to my mom, uh, who uh, definitely sacrificed a lot on my behalf, and uh, through her prayers and uh, sacrifices, uh, I am standing before you today. She was a big part of why you see what you see today, so happy Mother's Day, Mom. And also want to say happy Mother's Day to my beautiful wife, who's the mother of my three children, and uh, thank you so much for everything that you do for our family and for me, and always standing beside me through thick and thin. Uh, we have definitely had a great 12 years together and got a lot more years ahead of us, and so there's no other person that I would rather walk with in this life than with you, and so thank you. Happy Mother's Day. Now I'm going to go around to every mom and say, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but see, I get the luxury of doing that because I'm at the mic right now. You see what I'm saying? So, uh, but I want to start off with a funny story, funny story. Uh, this story says a small boy, but I'm going to exchange that word small for a big boy because my boy is not small. Uh, so a big boy is sent to bed by his mother, all right? And five minutes later, mom, mom says, What? I'm thirsty. Can you bring me a glass of water? No. You had your chance. Lights out. Five minutes later. Mom. What? I'm thirsty. Can I have a glass of water? I told you no, and if you ask again, I'll have to spank you. Five minutes later. Mom. What? When you come in to spank me, can you bring me that glass of water? <laughs> that is so my son right there. Not that that is a true story, but it could definitely be a true story. I think he's had so many spankings in his life. He's like, I don't care right at this point. Just spank me and get it over with and then give me what I really want, you know. But, uh, you know, I was thinking through... This is uh, my fifth Mother's Day message, and, um, which is kind of hard to believe because it's like, man, five years already. But uh, it's my fifth Mother's Day message. And, you know, typically when you come to these days like Mother's Day or Father's Day or Christmas or Easter, it's kind of like one of those times where you're like, man, what am I going to say? Because I want to make sure that, I mean, this is your one opportunity because, like, not only is it moms and you want to honor the women, but it's also that time where... You might have some people that aren't normally at your service. And so, like, you want to, man, I want, I want it to be impactful. Not that I don't want every Sunday to be impactful, but you understand those special days, you want it to be even a little bit more. And so, um, so I was praying and just asking God, man, like, what would you have me to, to speak on today? Because I don't want it just to, I mean, it is going to be directed as a Mother's Day message, but I believe that even us men that are in the house today are going to be able to get something out of this message. And uh, I'm really, really excited about it. And so uh, we're about to get into it. I did fail to mention one thing, though, for you moms, is that we do have a special little sweet treat for you as you leave today. 
we got some, um, I believe it is called Buntinis from Nothing Bunt Cakes. All right, so uh, there'll be a special one with a little flower in it for you as you leave today. And so that's just a special little treat for you. So, but um, all right, so I felt like God wanted me to encourage not just the moms, but all of us today to determine to rise. Determine to rise. Now, the definition of determine, because we have to have a working definition as to what that word determine means so that we know what it means to determine to rise. So here's the definition. It means to settle or decide by authoritative or conclusive decision. So when you determine to do something, it's not a decision that you waver back and forth on. There's authority behind it. There's a decisive decision that you are moving in this particular direction. And so today I want to encourage you, moms and all of us in this room today, to decide by an authoritative or a conclusive decision that it's my time to rise. We have to decide to be determined. You don't just find yourself one day determined. It's got to begin with a decision. Your decision leads to determination. Your determination leads to destiny. Now in Acts chapter 20, verses 22 through 24, it says this. Now this is Paul speaking. He says, and see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Now let me stop there, because does that not sound like motherhood? I mean, think about it. Does that not sound just like motherhood, but sounds like life at times? I don't know what awaits me. You know, it's not like you knew what it was like to be a mom before you had a child of your own. You might have had a thought of what it was like, but until you sat in the mom chair, you didn't realize what it was like to be a mom. And that's like anything in life. One of, the, one of the pet peeves I have is when somebody tells me, I know how you feel, and yet they have not been through what I'm walking through. You know, it's like I, 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 I was at a funeral yesterday of a family that lost a father. I can't sit there and say, I know how you feel, because I, my father is still alive. I don't know what that's like. And so it's the same idea Motherhood, you don't know what it's going to be like. Life, you don't know what it's going to be like. But one thing that you can almost guarantee is, is that there's going to be some bumps along the way. There's going to be some bad days along the way. There's going to be some trials that wait. There's going to be some tribulations that wait. There's going to be moments where you feel trapped, where you feel chained. And that's where Paul was. He says, I don't know what awaits me, but I do know this. That there will, it won't be all roses, it won't be all sunshine, but chains and tribulation await me. But I want you to fixate yourself on what verse 24 begins with. But none of these things move me. He says, but none of these things move me. 
nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. You see, what Paul was saying is, is like, I don't know what awaits me. I do know that it's not going to be good at times, that there's going to be chains, there's going to be tribulations, but guess what? None of that stuff is going to move me off of my purpose, off of my destiny. Why? Because Paul had made a decision to be determined. Determined to fulfill his role, his uh, his race, his purpose, his destiny in life, which was to preach the gospel. And he was going to preach it regardless if he was a free man or if he was imprisoned. He was determined to rise to the occasion. Sometimes life can feel like chains and tribulations. But you see, the reason that Paul can say, but none of these things move me, is because he was in relationship with Jesus. You see, I just don't understand sometimes how people live their life without Jesus. Because when those bad days do come, when those chains do wrap themselves around you, when the tribulations come, when the trials come, I don't understand how people do it. Because they have nothing to turn to. But when we lack relationship with Jesus, I believe it in turn lends itself to lacking desire, to lacking determination. And we allow the chains and the tribulations to move us instead of staying solid on the rock. Paul says, but none of those things move me. You see, Paul built his life on the rock. And that rock is Jesus. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. He said, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on a bedrock. That was Paul's life. Paul says, but none of these things move me. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. You see, Paul, on his journey to Jerusalem, was faced with uncertainty. I think a lot of us in this room can say we have some uncertainty in our life right now. But you see, Paul didn't allow uncertainty to move him. Psalm 16, 8 says this, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. When we set ourselves on the rock, we will not move. It doesn't matter how bad the storm is. It doesn't matter how much the winds are tearing up things. We will remain because we are on the rock. And that rock is Jesus. You see, when we make the decision to be determined, we can say what Paul said, but none of these things move me. 
Can I encourage all of you today? Moms, men, women, all of us today. We need to make a decision to be determined to rise. To take our position as a son or daughter of the one true king. Because it's when we do that we stand. And it's when we do that we will not be moved. We all like a good story, don't we? I mean, we all like a good story, don't we? I mean, good night, y'all. I know it's rainy, but let's come on. Interact with me a little bit. How many of you would like to go to Hawaii? Now, why in the world are y'all reacting to that? Man, Hawaii, it's a nice place. Mountainous region full of lush gardens and trees and beaches, sunshine, hula skirts. Yeah, the only reason that Christina would ever venture to the island of Hawaii is because Disney has a resort there. So check this out. Hawaii was discovered around A.D. 1000. Can you believe that? A.D. 1000. So a thousand years ago, Hawaii was discovered. No one knows the exact date, but it was around there. And it was by a group of, uh, uh, of Polynesians who inhabited and explored many islands in the South Pacific. Now, if you look at a map of the world, you'll notice that Hawaii is one of the most isolated spots on the planet. Right? No? Yes? Okay. So it's already incredible that it was discovered so early in human history. I mean, think about that. A thousand years ago, the islands of Hawaii were discovered. But what they did to get there makes the story even more amazing. Because of its isolation, they would never have known Hawaii was even there. They suspected it was there, though, because they noticed a bird called a golden plover, which migrated north, out into the open water every year. So land must have been out there somewhere. They just couldn't see it. So they set sail from the uh, Marquesas Island. I'm hoping I'm saying that right. To follow them. And that island is as close as you can get to Hawaii. But it is still about 2,500 miles away. Nowadays it takes roughly 30 days to sail to Hawaii from the island of M is how I'm going to say it from now on, using modern-day equipment, okay? 30 days using modern-day equipment. But back then, they were only using carved wooden boats and their own understanding of naval navigation. Now, the Polynesians followed the birds closely, but they always flew faster than they could paddle. They could only keep up with them for short distances. So at some point, they would lose track and have to turn back. And each year, they would try again, picking up where they left off the previous year. And years passed by, and they kept getting farther into the Pacific. But they still never saw land. Now, according to the documentary that this story is based on, it took the Polynesians 400 years to finally reach Hawaii using this method. 400 years, guys. 400 years. 
That's at least four to five generations worth. Generations. Every time that I have read this story over and over in my notes, it amazes me to think about that thought. Imagine the determination and perseverance you would need to do this. After generations of hard work, belief, perseverance, and determination, after years of uncertainty and doubt, they finally reached their goal. By this point, Hawaii might have become something like a mythical idea. To actually reach it, can you imagine what it must have been like? To think, this is what my grandfather told me. This is what my great-grandfather passed down to him. This is what my great-great-grandfather did. And it took us 400 total years to finally reach this place. You would have to imagine that they break down in tears having joy that finally these stories that they've heard their entire lives is finally true. See, what this story tells me is, is that your decision to be determined doesn't only affect you, but it has the ability to affect generations. This is the reason I'm telling you people not just moms, but all of us, we have to determine to rise because it's not just about you, it's about generations that are coming after you. And this leads me to talk about the first of four women who made the decision to be determined. First one is Ruth. Ruth, she was a woman who was determined to not let her past dictate her future. Now, the story begins with a lady named Naomi who lived in Bethlehem. And there was a famine that struck Bethlehem. So her and her husband and their sons packed it up and went to Moab. And they lived there. Well, while they were there, the sons get married to Moabite women. And Naomi's husband passes away. But not only does he pass away, the daughter's husbands, her two sons, they pass away as well. So now they're all three widows. Naomi gets the word that Bethlehem has come out of the famine and it is time for her to go home. So she starts making the journey back to Bethlehem. And these two daughters-in-law that she had, Orpah and Ruth, all widows begin a journey from Moab back to Bethlehem where Naomi was from. And then they get a little ways into the journey and Naomi kind of has this moment of why are y'all coming with me? This isn't fair for you guys. There's no way that I could possibly get married again, have children, and y'all are just going to wait around for them to grow up so that I can give you more husbands. It's not going to happen. So why don't you just go back to where you're from, marry a guy there, and then start your life all over again. Now, both these daughters-in-law, they loved Naomi. They didn't want to leave her. But Orpah decided she finally got convinced enough from Naomi begging her to leave and go back home that she left to go back home. But Ruth, on the other hand, stayed determined. And in Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, this is what Ruth, Ruth's reply was to Naomi. Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. 
Whenever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Now listen to verse 18. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. Ruth was a woman who made a decision to be determined, to not let her past dictate her future. She said, I'm not going to sit in in self-waller in my pity because my husband passed away. No, there is something in my future, but I'm determined to not let my past keep me. I'm going to move ahead. And if that means that i got to stick with Naomi, I'm going to stick with Naomi. And wherever she goes, I'm going to go. And her God is going to be my God. You know what Ruth's determination led to? Was her marrying this guy named Boaz who was the family's redeemer. She was related to Naomi. Or he was related to Naomi. Ruth marries Boaz. And they have a child together named Obed, who was the father of Jesse, who was the the father of David. So check that out. Look. Ruth's determination not only affected her life, it affected generations. Because without Ruth, we have no David. If we have no David, we have no Psalms. We don't have the story of David versus Goliath. We don't have the greatest king in Israel's history. I guarantee you Ruth didn't necessarily think her life was going to produce that. But guess what? Because she was determined to not let her past dictate her future, she kept moving in the direction that God wanted her to go, and she rose to be a mighty woman of God. And through her comes David. Here's the second one lady by the name of Hannah. Now she was a woman who was determined to not lose hope that God would hear her prayer. In 1 Samuel chapter 1 verses 2 through 7 it begins this story of who Hannah is. Now Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and uh, Paniah. And Paniah had children but Hannah did not. Now each year Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle. And the priests of the Lord at that time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. On the days Elkanah presented the sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Paniah and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. So Paniah would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. I can't imagine how humiliating this was for Hannah. Year after year going through the same thing. Seeing this other woman having the children, getting more blessings because of the children, getting more choice meat and then the fact that she only gets one portion because she's not able to bear a child and then it says that Paniah would taunt her make fun of her verse 7 says year after year it was the same year after year it was the same Paniah would taunt Hannah 
Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. And each time Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Now, at what point after years of going through the same thing does this poor lady just not give up and just say, it is what it is. This is my card in life. This is what I'm going to live out my life like and just give up. But that's not what Hannah did because Hannah endured through the years because I believe that she was a determined woman. She was determined to rise. And in 1 Samuel, it continues in verse 9, once after sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. And Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Now let me pause here. Because I, not that it says this verbatim, but I have a sneaking suspicion that if we just read year after year the same thing happened, I have to believe that year after year the same thing happened what we just read. That she got up and she went to go pray. Year after year, she would pray. That's just my personal commentary, my personal belief. I believe it to be true. But think about it. How many of you have prayed a prayer for weeks, months, years, and the answer still has not come? How many of you? But guess what? Hannah encourages us to stay determined, to not lose hope in the prayers that we pray. In verse 10, Hannah was in deep anguish, crying, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. And as she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her and seeing her lips moving, but hearing no sound, he thought she had been drinking must you come here drunk, he demanded, throw, your, throw away your wine. Oh, no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I am very discouraged. And I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Can I encourage some discouraged moms in this house today? Don't give up. Don't stop praying. Be determined to rise. You might be facing a, 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 a situation, a challenge with a child right now. Maybe, may, maybe, maybe it's, 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 it's you, you, you desire to become pregnant. Maybe it's you have a child that's far away from the Lord. Maybe it's another type of struggle. But I'm just here to tell you, be determined as Hannah was determined to not lose hope in the prayers that she was praying. And guess what? There's going to be some times where you pray where you just don't have the words to, to pray. It's just a groaning that comes. It's a wailing that comes. And it comes from a place of sorrow, yes. But it also rises up from an inkling of a place of hope. Believing that there is a God out there that hears your prayers, will answer your prayers, and will bless you. Now, she goes, don't think I'm a wicked woman. For I've been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. And in that case, Eli said, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant the request you have asked him. And look at how she leaves. Because this is important. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. Then she went back and began to eat again and she was no longer sad. Now think about this for a minute. It isn't like she just has gone and done the act with the husband. And hopefully now it's all good. 
No, she heard the priest tell her, go, it's going to happen. And she believed that it was going to happen. James tells us that we cannot pray prayers and act like we don't believe that it's going to happen. If it's like that, it's not going to happen. You can't just pray. There's got to be belief that backs up that prayer. You see, when you pray without belief, it's like writing a bad check. When you go to cash that check, there ain't nothing to guarantee that check. But when you write that check and you've got something to guarantee it behind, a.k.a. faith and belief, then you can take that check to the bank and you can cash it and God's going to come through for it. Well, I have two of y'all are in here. Now, here's the third one, RISPA. How many of you have ever heard of RISPA? Anybody ever heard of RISPA? Okay, okay. That's awesome. She was a woman who was determined to restore dignity to her family. Now, let me give you some background to this story before I read the verse. It says that it, it, there was a famine in Israel for three years. Now, this is during David's reign as king. There was a famine in the land for three years. Now, famines were not something that was out of the ordinary. So for the first year, it wasn't like David was panicking because this is just something that happens. But Year two goes by, and then year three goes by, and now David becomes concerned, and he inquires of the Lord, Lord, why is this famine happening? Because now it's not just a byproduct of nature. This is you causing the famine. We need to figure it out because we can no longer live in famine. And so the Lord speaks to David and says, well, it's because Saul and his family killed the Gibeonites. Now, why is that? Such a problem is because Israel had made a treaty with the Gibeonites that they were not going to harm them. But Saul disregarded that treaty and he killed a bunch of them. I mean a bunch of them. So David wants to make amends, so he tells the, the Gibeonites that are left, hey, let's come and let's have a meeting because we need to get this straightened out. We need to make this right. So the Gibeonites, they propose this. We don't want life for a life. We just want seven sons of Saul, and we want them killed. Now, these were not just, these weren't all just sons of Saul. They had to go after grandchildren of Saul because some of Saul's sons were passed away. So they take seven of Saul's sons, is what they called them, and so David delivers them, and they're killed. They're crucified. It's horrible. And this is where we pick up the story. In 2 Samuel chapter 21, verses 10 through 14. Then Rizpah, daughter of Ai, the mother of two of the men, spread burlap on a rock and stayed there the entire harvest season. Now, the entire harvest season would be five months. Five months. She spread out a sheet of sackcloth on a rock that was at the base of these seven sons of Saul that were crucified. Five months. Now, typically in that day, they would not let somebody be hung on the, the, the crucifix for longer than the day. They just left them there because there was no dignity to Saul's family line at all during this time. And so she spreads this burlap on a rock and she stayed there for five months. I want you to let that sink in. Five months. 
And during that five months, it said that she prevented the scavenger birds from tearing at their bodies during the day and stopped wild animals from eating them at night. I need you to picture this with me. I know it's not the prettiest picture to imagine in your head. But think about this. There's seven guys dead. Two of which are her sons. And she goes, I am determined to restore dignity to my children. Can you imagine if Rizba is at this point when her sons are dead, how much more would she be if her sons are alive? I just wouldn't want to meet this woman in a back alley. Let me just say that. And every day she wakes up, maybe from just minutes of sleep here, minutes of sleep there, but definitely not long stretches of sleep. And as the birds come, she takes her burlap that's on that rock and she starts swinging it over the birds to get them away from pecking at her sons, her dead sons. And then at nighttime, she's got to worry about wolves coming out and wild beasts coming out to try and eat what was left. Five months, five months, she endured the stench, she endured the decay, she endured the heartache of having to look at that every single day. But she did it because she was determined to restore dignity to her family. But here's what I want you to grab a hold of in verse 11. When David learned what Rispa, Saul's concubine, had done, he went to the people of Jabesh-Gilead and retrieved the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan. When the Philistines had killed Saul and Jonathan on Mount Gilboa, the people of Jabesh-Gilead stole their bodies from the public square of Bethshan, where the Philistines had hung them. So David obtained the bones of Saul and Jonathan as well as the bones of the men the Gibeonites had executed. And then the king ordered that they buried the bones in the tomb of Kish, Saul's father at the town of Zela in the land of Benjamin. And after that, God ended the famine in the land. It was because of Rispa's determination that not only did she restore dignity to her family but she caught the attention of the king sometimes when you're going through some of the worst moments of your life you're going to have to fight you're going to have to fight the vultures that come by day and the wild beasts that come by night that try to devour your family, that try to eat up your family. But you got to fight because when you fight, the king will take notice. And when the king takes notice, he is the only one that can do the restoration. And then here's the fourth one as Christina comes back up. It's this Gentile woman In Matthew chapter 15. And she was a woman who was determined to worship to touch the heart of God. In Matthew 15 verses 21 
Starting at verse 21, it says, Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And a Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. And then his disciples urged him to send her away, tell her to go away. They said, she's bothering us with all of her begging. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. This was a mom whose child was in desperate need because she was possessed by a demon. You want to see the capacity of a mom? You start touching their children. And it's on. It's like they become a transformer. Turn into something that is just unreal. And they will fight till the death if you touch their kids. At some points, it doesn't even matter if your kid is in the right or the wrong. If they're hurting, it's on. This woman put herself out there. And she's getting embarrassed right now because... Not only is Jesus not even giving her a word, but the disciples are telling her, Hey, shoot. Get out of here. Move it. We don't want all your begging. And then you would think that Jesus, because we normally think of him as a compassionate person, right? Would just be right, okay, go, your daughter's healed. But that's not what happened. Jesus comes back and says, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. And because you're a Gentile, you don't fit into that category. But remember, we're dealing with determined women today that are determined to rise. And she says, that's not good enough for me. You know, there are going to be times where you are in such a need that you go for Jesus and He won't give you a word. And it's not because He's lacking compassion towards you. But I believe he's growing your faith in that moment. There's a reason why he says, hey, keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Look at what it says in verse 25. But she came and worshipped him. She came and worshipped him. Because she was determined. Pleading again, Lord, help me. Now you would think, man, at this point, Jesus has got to be like, oh man, this is awesome. Like, we're, we're, I'm meeting this lady's need right now. But that's not what he does. 
Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. Hey, Jesus, it's Mother's Day. Don't call the mom a dog. Listen, I mean, we're, 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 we're dealing with a determined woman, a determined mom. She says, that's true. That's true, Lord. But even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. See, there's times where we got to get to the point that I'm not looking for the whole plate. I just need a crumb. But because we don't receive the whole loaf, we just give up. You got to be determined to rise. You got to be determined to continue to worship when you don't see that answer come through. When you don't see him meeting the need that you think he ought to meet the way you think he ought to meet it. You got to say, I just need a crumb, Jesus. I don't need the whole loaf. I just need a crumb. And even the dogs get a crumb beneath the table. And if that means that i got to be a dog, then allow it to be because I just need a crumb. Because a crumb from your table is better than a feast at any other table. I just need a crumb. Lord, help me. And then look at verse 28. Dear woman, your faith is great. And your request is granted and her daughter was instantly healed instantly healed how many times in my own life have I turned my nose up at a crumb because I wanted the whole thing and at the end I got nothing What are we missing out on because we think that we are above eating a crumb? This lady said, just give me a crumb. I don't know what the crumb's going to do. I don't know what it's going to achieve. I don't know what I'm going to get from that crumb. I don't know if I'm going to be satisfied by it, but just give it to me anyway. I believe that we can all relate to at least one of these four women in the situations that they find themselves in. Whether it's Ruth and we feel we're entangled by our past and we are allowing it to keep us trapped instead of being determined to move forward into the future that God has for us. Or we might be like Hannah who has prayed year after year after year and we are starting to lose just a little bit of hope that Jesus is going to meet my need. Or maybe we find ourselves in a similar situation as Rispa, where maybe it's our family that's in complete embarrassment right now, but we need to restore dignity. Or maybe it's like the woman in Matthew 15. Moms, 
determined to rise. The reason I felt like that's what God, God explained to me the reason that he gave me determined to rise is because moms, you're in a battle. You're in a battle every single day. Some of you are in a battle for your kids and their souls. Some of you are in a battle for your family. Some of you are in a battle for your husband. Women, you're in a battle. Regardless if you're a mom in this place or not, women, you're in a battle every single day. Men, you're in a battle every single day. But the only way that we're going to win those battles is that we've got to be determined. We got to decide to be determined so that we can reach our destiny. Ephesians chapter 6. Paul says, A final word be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm. Unmovable. Because remember, None of these things will move me. Against all the strategies of the devil, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Let me just tell you something right now. If you've got a child that's away from the Lord right now, and you're fighting on his behalf, stop fighting them and fight the things that you can't see. Fight in your closet when you pray. Fight those powers that are around them right now because you got to understand that they don't need to be looked at as the enemy because they're not the enemy. You might be asking, well, how do I fight something that I can't see? Worship is how you fight. And can I just sit here and say this? Let me just say this. I'm not saying that there's a particular way that you have to worship. But I can tell you for certain, because I read accounts of how they worshiped in the Bible, and none of them look like this. And sometimes we stand like this, because we don't see him moving we don't feel him moving the last time I read my Bible it says that we have to move first worship is how we fight you think that woman in Matthew 15 really wanted to worship after hearing what she heard but she knew deep down inside I gotta move if he's gonna move I gotta move if I want him to move So I'm not just going to stay in here like this any longer. But I'm going to worship. And then, woman in Matthew 15. Whoa, whoa, what's happening? What's happening right now? Oh, my goodness, my body's moving. My hands are in the air. Oh, man, I can't. Oh, oh. And then you start worshiping. And then what that does is, is that it is a resemble, it's a symbolic of a freedom that is starting to stir up on the inside. You got to move if you want him to move. 
because it's like the song says, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. You got to start, you got to start telling yourself that it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. In 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 14 through 17, it says, So one night the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. Let me tell you what's going on here is that we've got the prophet Elisha, who is the guy who hears God, and he's doing this thing that the uh, king of Aram doesn't really like. Because Elisha's going to the king of Israel saying, hey, this is everything that's about to happen. This is, this, is, this is King Aram's strategies right here. This is his battle plan right here. This is what he's going to do. And then they'd go out to fight. And then the king of Aram's like, man, it's like they know what we're doing. It's because they do. And then somebody said, well, that's because they have Elisha, the man of God, who's, who hears from God. God's telling your secrets to the king through Elisha. King Aram's like, okay, we got to snuff this guy out. He's gone. Out of here. So they surround the city where he is. And when the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. The servant of Elisha, he goes outside, he sees all this going on. He comes back in, he goes, oh, sir, oh, sir, oh, sir. Oh, sir. Oh, my God. I'm about to die. I'm acting him out. I'm not just. What will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, Oh, Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes. And when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. Now look, it may look like I'm surrounded. It may look like I'm surrounded by the enemy coming against me, coming against my family, coming against my children, coming against my job, coming against everything in me. But you got to wake up you got to ask God to open up your eyes so that you can finish that song and say, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. you got to be determined to rise and to take your place in this, as, the, as the daughter of the one true king, as the son of the one true king. you got to be determined to not let your past dictate your future. you got to be determined to not lose hope in the prayers that you pray. You gotta be determined to restore dignity to your family. You gotta be determined to worship. Determined to rise. Let's stand all over this place.